The series is called Grace. It really is amazing. Uh, a week ago, we started the series, and if you missed it, you can catch it online. And uh, in, that, uh, in that opening piece, what we discovered was this, a definition, just a real simple definition is, grace is unmerited favor, and uh, we learned uh, from the th theological world that if it were down to one word, it would just be the word favor. It is the favor of God. That's what grace is. The fact that he would visit us with unmerited, it's not deserved, we'll never earn it, we'll never deserve it, it could never come our way because of anything good that we do. This is total grace of God. Everybody wants it, nobody deserves it, but what we find throughout scriptures is not only is, is God demonstrating grace, but then he does the ultimate demonstration of grace when he gives to us the embodiment of it in Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. Absolutely full of grace, absolutely full of truth. And all God is uh, d doing there is he's demonstrating who he is, and as he does that, we receive favor from him. It's an amazing thing. Let me tell you a story of how this works itself out. It was the uh, 1700s in, in uh, Europe, actually in the land of England. And so... Um, a long time ago in our, in our way of thinking, but a long time after Jesus Christ has come too. Uh, England has a guy there who is a minister. His name is John Newton. And you know him as a great hymn writer and a great churchman and a wonderful man. But what you don't know about him is, um, maybe you know he wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. That's, those are words he wrote that we sing even today. Now, we've modified those words because um, word wretch is not something that we like to use uh, oftentimes, and we sometimes put other words in there. But that's the word he used. That's how he described himself. He says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. In other words, I was blind to what was, I was doing in life. I was blind to what Jesus wanted to do in my life, and now I see. I was once lost, without any hope, without any path, now, no map, and now I'm found. Someone found me. I was blind, now I see. And he, he went on to write, "'Twas grace that brought me this far, and grace will lead me home.'" It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's amazing kind of grace. And you think, oh, well, you know, that's great because he's a churchman. He ought to know God's grace. But that isn't the full story of John Newton. Uh, John grew up in a country that uh, had slavery. England, had, that was just part of the economy of the day. And that's how they got by. That's how they had the caste system that they had in that day. It's the economy. It's the way the businesses worked. It was legal, although it's not morally right. It was what was legal. And John was not only a slave owner, there's a step below that, and I want you to, th I want you to know this. I, I don't measure sin about being how horrible things are, or, or you know, easy sins, light sins. You know, we do that, don't we? You ever go down an aisle? Like, have you ever been down an aisle? Like, you're, you're, I, I just do what I'm told because I'm happily married. Go to the store, get salad dressing. I get there, there's like light, super light, heavy. I, I have no idea. I just, I just need dressing to put on something in the aisle. I have to call home because I'm, I'm insecure. There's 900 bottles of dressing. I don't know. Anything. It's like light. Well, we're that way with sin, are we not? We, we go, oh, that's a light sin. That's an easy, that was like a half sin. That's not full sin. 
That's sin with a small s. That's not big sin. And then other people's sin, that's capital S, capital I, capital N, 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 sin. You know. If ever there were a capital S, capital I, capital N, you know what it would be? It would be driving in the wrong lane on 301. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, okay. The right lane is for slow people, normal people, people who want to turn right. And the left lane's not just the left lane, it's also called the passing lane. Or where I'm from, it's called the fast lane. And in ministerial terms, it's called the grace lane. In other words, you can go 10 over on that lane. It's, a, it's okay. Oh, wait, not 10, maybe 7. Am I off track? Yeah, better get back on track. That's a sin. And, you know, when people are in the left lane and they're clueless, eating a sandwich and on the phone, going below the speed limit, going below the speed limit, that is an S-I-N. That's right. Amen. You can go home now. So we all have these big sins, little sins in our life. Well, I tell that to you to say very seriously, John Newton was not just a sinner, small s, small i, small i. In our minds, he was a big sinner. Not only did he own slaves, he was a slave trader. That's the equivalent of being a... And I hesitate to even tell you what we think might be bad sins today because it could be in the room, and I'm telling you, grace covers it all. That'd be the equivalent today of being a pimp or a slave trade today, sex trader today. This is a despicable sin. And it was in the grip of God's hand. He could not get out, and he realized all, all people are created equally. I cannot continue with this. But it, what, what convicted him was not the political system, it wasn't the law, because slavery continued, and John Newton came to Jesus, had to give that up. That's how it changed his life. And you know, when you give that up, that's like giving up your income. It's a huge deal. Huge deal. John Newton, look him up. It's a wonderful story of God's grace. And now when you sing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch, John Newton knew what that was. He knew his own sin. And you know what? It, that's the issue today, because if you are still not amazed by grace, you will become amazed with yourself. See, uh, God will become less awesome, and you'll become more awesome. And that's idolatry. So God help us from that. Now, here's what happens. Somewhere along the line, we come to Christ and we trust the Lord and that grace, here are the stages. It really is amazing. And it isn't long after that, we begin to grow in grace. And that's really amazing that the Lord begins to change our lives. But something happens along the way where we stop applying the truth and instead of just learning it and applying it to ourselves, we just learn it for the sake of knowing it, and that's a dangerous place to be because there's, this, there's a stage of decline in grace. It's where it's amazing, you're growing in it, but now you begin to analyze it and you're no longer applying it. This is a dangerous place to be where you, you know the truth, but you don't apply the truth. That's a dangerous place to be. And so the next stage is going to be evaluation. You'll be looking at grace and looking at truth 
for other people's lives and not your own. And the next thing you know, you're fairly judgmental. And that's the way, folks, that's the way much of society views Christians today. Some of that is brought on because they don't want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of it's brought on because we've allowed grace to take a back seat and now we think we've joined hands with God and now we've become evaluators and now we become the critiquers instead of the recipients of grace. Now we are the depository for judgment. See, Now it's no longer amazing grace. It's no longer good news. Paul will write to the church in Galatians and say, how could you leave the gospel? How could you who call yourselves Christians, how could you desert the one who called you by his grace? You are so quick to abandon it, to go back to what you know. Now there are telltale signs too. Um, critical of others, casual in the faith, cynical of life change, controlling behaviors, condemnations of others, really quietly condemnation of yourself. And and being critical of others, it's the person who always has the answer to everything. You've been in a small group like this. You've maybe been in a Bible study. You've been around Christians like that. Or they're casual about their faith, committed to Jesus, but I'm just as committed to other things. Or more so committed, Jesus is just a small part. But he no longer amazes me. He's no longer the centerpiece of my life. He's no longer the crowning work of what's in my life. He just happens to be one of the many components. Very casual Christianity or cynical towards others, it's, it's the thought, oh, he'll never change. Grace will never be amazing to them. They'll never live up. They can never make it. And then so you become controlling of other people. And you do that to keep people back because you know your self-condemnation is bad, so the condemnation of others just comes real natural. And we think about it, if you think about it long enough, that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants somehow for grace to come, become less and for us to have a part. Therefore, we become awesome and God gets dethroned. And when that happens, he's won. So it isn't just that you go back to an old pattern. No, no, no. It's actually much worse because now you're demonstrating a polluted, distorted kind of grace, which is no gospel. It's not good news, really at all. So the big question is, are you still amazed by grace? Are you still amazed by grace? Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner? Uh, stop right there. Abraham is the father of the nation. He is the, uh, the father of the faith. Go back to Genesis. Okay? Abraham and Sarah will have a son that then will become what we will later call Israel, but we're hundreds of years away from that. So don't think, oh, he's Israeli or he's Jewish. No, it hadn't been invented yet. Abram is, is a pagan, living in a pagan land with pagan stuff. God calls him. He wants to be a follower of the Lord. Okay, in light of that now, verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Quote, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
He believed God, get this, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand this, folks. No matter where you are in all of biblical history, which is all of history, people are only made right by believing in God. Okay? Somewhere down the line, we think, oh no, there's something we need to contribute to the equation, and that just isn't true. Because if we do, then we can somehow gain credit for that. It's no longer grace. It's now an obligation. It's just a payment. And bloodline really doesn't matter when you stop and think about it. Because Abraham, Abraham could have been in the bloodline to be the father of the nation. That had been fine. But if he didn't believe God, he wouldn't be right. And works will never justify him. He could never work well enough. And believing uh, faith is the only path to actual righteousness. Now, um, just for a moment, I, I, I know I've hit on this sin thing for a moment. I, don't raise your hand on this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I do this almost every week. I ask you to raise your hand. And how many of you, when I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you never, ever raise your hand? Okay, good. Got that out of the way. This one I don't want you to raise your hand on. But let's just suppose I gave to you all ten commandments of the Old Testament, which you're going, I don't even know what the ten are. Yeah, yeah. you don't even know what the ten are. How can you, when people say to me, I say to them, I, I know you're going to have, I obey the Ten Commandments. What are they? I, 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 then they don't know. I, how do you know? Okay. The, the question goes like this. The Old Testament not only has Ten Commandments, it has 400 more that the people added to it. 433, I think, more. Uh, don't raise your hand. How many of you would say you have broken every single one of those commandments? The answer would be no. I, I can't break them all because I don't even know them. There's no way you could break them all. But how many of you would say somewhere down the line you may have, on a bad day, broken one of God's commands? How many of you would... Okay, I'm waiting for more hands to go up. Yeah, some of you are in the back going, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Okay, all right, here's the issue. Here's our lives, this is, this is your life. And some of you know you have sinned, right? Some of you know you've sinned. Others of you say, oh yeah, I've sinned, but it's not, it's kind of, not big sin. Not big sin. Because you're comparing sin, right? Just be honest, right? You're comparing sin. And some of you would say, oh no, I sin. And some of you right now are saying, yeah, that's my husband Frank right there. He, <laughs> he sins. <laughs> and what you don't know is your husband Frank is going, that's my wife Ethel. <laughs> she really sins. But people are not made up of just sin. You do know even sinful people occasionally, you know this to be true, even bad people occasionally do good things. Right? You know this to be true. People that just aggravate you, and you know them to be sinners, right? Even still, they do things that are right. Right? So there's little bits of righteousness tucked in there, hidden away. Right? Now, let's just suppose we find a really, really good person. Take a really good person. And they have lots of acts of righteousness. They have righteousness all over the place. 
They got right, 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 right. I mean, this is a do-gooder, right? But still in their life are little pockets where they all fall short of the glory of God. Does that sound anything like something you might read in the book of Romans? Yeah. So there would be little moments of sin, even though they might be hard to find, right? And for some, you would look, and all you'd ever see is the right, because the S is tucked into the R. Now by that, this is, you have to be almost artsy tonight. Some people will even do righteous things with an evil intent. Does that make sense? Anybody tracking with this? So these people are hiding their sin inside their righteous acts. You know what this is called? This is called a Pharisee. Okay? This is called a going, this is a person who goes to church even on Memorial Day weekend. That's what this is called. You're going to go to lunch, you're going to stay in the lunch restaurant today. Well, some of us went to church this morning. I don't know about the rest of you. Can I tell you a little story? It's Memorial Day, so we can get off track, right? I went to, one Sunday noon, we went, I think we went to Carabas or something, and I was dressed like this. I met another pastor friend, he was all duded out in a $1,000 pinstripe suit with a little hanky, big tie, tie clip. I mean, he had the whole thing. He goes, you got the day off? I said, no. I go to church like this. I'm free, man, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> he said something like, you're just jealous. Yeah, because I, I do want that suit. It was a nice suit. But anyway, even preachers have trouble with moments of... Don't answer that. Don't, don't, don't amen that. Even, even preachers have moments like this. But if you were to draw this out about Jesus, what would you see? You would see one humongous R, right? I mean, it would take the entire life because it is all righteousness, okay? Now, James chapter 2, verse 10 puts it, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of it all. You're just guilty. Now, we've already raised our hand. How many of you have fallen, and you, you know that you've come short of the glory of God. You know you've sinned in a little bit of a way, and all of us would agree to that, right? But l- let me ask you one more question. This is about people who are not in the room. How, how, how many of you in the room would know of somebody, not someone in the room, don't point to them. How many of you would know someone out there somewhere who thinks they're perfect? Yeah, it happens, even still today. Keep reading chapter 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited to him as a gift, but an obligation. So if you work for this, it's no longer grace. It's now payment. Okay? Abraham didn't, there's no way he could live good enough, so he believed God, God credited his righteousness. Okay? To him who works, it's a wage, it's credited as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, get this, their faith is credited to him as 
righteousness. So the day you trust God in Jesus Christ, this is the amazing part of the grace. What does, what does Jesus do for you? He knocks the slate clean. And this is you and me. It's all of us. He knocks the slate clean. And this is Jesus. And he takes all the righteousness out of his life, and where does he put it? He puts it into our lives. And what does he put on himself? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The one, write this down because it's not in the notes. You need it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The one who did not even know sin, never ever sinned, never experienced sin, the one who did not know sin became sin for us. So we could take on the righteousness of God. You see what he did? Now, are you still amazed? Oh my gosh. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my soul. He took our sin on himself and he gave us his righteousness. Is there anything fair about this? No, none. So why in the world would I ever have a critical spirit about anybody? Anybody beyond us. You know why? Because we still aren't amazed. It can happen to any of us. We can slip from the amazing grace to somehow us being somewhat responsible. Chapter 5. Let's skip down to the next chapter and just pick up the first couple of verses. And there's one word I want you to get. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. When we boast, we, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Get that. Good works will never make this a reality. The only thing that can happen, go back, therefore, since we have been justified, uh, that is a theological term that means we are declared right as if in a court of law. It's been slammed down. You are declared right. It's, and it's called, this is what theologians call positional righteousness or positional justification you are declared right not because you act right but because you're declared right hope you get the difference there so you're declared right before a holy god that's the only path and then keep reading and what's the byproduct of this you get peace with god of course you do because you can finally relax you can finally blink because you know you're, you're at peace with god because there's no hostility towards you and because you have that peace, you have now you have access. There's a second benefit, and it's a grace now in which you can stand. So if you were looking at the benefits of his grace, you have peace, you have access to the throne of grace, which is in heaven, and which is your ultimate home. And then the third thing is that you have not only access, it's a grace now in which you stand. And there's the, there's the term I want you to get. This is not a grace that is amazing at your salvation, this is a grace that is amazing, that it sustains you. This is not just saving grace. Get this. This is what we call sustaining grace. Okay? 
The fact that Jesus hangs on to you after you're saved and you still do stupid things and he still hangs on to you. He goes, yeah, that's, that's my boy. Oh boy. It's a big day for Huffman. Yeah. <laughs> angels, we need more angels over that guy. He's in the left lane again. Yeah. Got to get him out of there. You understand how amazing the grace is? It isn't just saving grace. That would be wonderful in and of itself. But this is now a grace in which we stand. So many scriptures every week I tell you there's a scripture you need to learn. There's another one you need to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 4, chapter 5, therefore since we've been justified through faith we, need, we have peace with God another one great one to memorize the key verses to this are from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 if you're taking notes these you need to put to your heart because you need them every day for it is by grace that you're saved through faith it is the gift of God get this a gift you will never earn this so you'll never be amazed by yourself I'm always overtaken by how great he is and how little I am I just even forget myself in fact, go back and read John, John's gospel. When he introduces Jesus, there's a, there's a crazy thing in the text. He says, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, get this, who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says, I am not worthy to even take his, his shoes off, to untie his sandals. He's that low. You know what? The next time, he's, he's that low. The next time he meets Jesus, you know what he says? Behold the Lamb of God. He doesn't even talk about the sandals. He is so amazed, he forgets himself in his relationship because he is so great. It's where Jesus increases so much and I decrease so much that it's all about him anyway. And that's where the peace of God really can shine through. Well, <clears throat> Romans 5, you're in verses 1 and 2. Let me give you a backup verse to this. This is from Galatians chapter 1. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Get this? It's a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's, no good, it's not good news at all. If you're working for this or you're including it in the law, it is not, you can't earn it back. It's no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion trying to pervert the gospel. They're trying to mix Old Testament law with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the embodiment of, of Jesus Christ. And he says, you started out in grace so well, and then you go back and think you can prove that you're worthy? That's just telling you and me something. It's telling us that the greatest enemy to grace is performance. Performance. It's, it's telling God God, you got a good deal. When Isaiah, the prophet, said, all our righteousness is like a dirty rag. So, performance says, I can earn my way. Jot these down if you want. Performance will always say, I can earn my way. Performance will say, I am better than, and then just fill in the blank. Because it's about you. It's about me when it's about performance. And performance will always say, it's always about me. Performance will say, 
I earn my way. And what that does is that robs God of the glory that is due him. Do you get this? Because it takes away from the work of the cross and puts the attention on you. And when that happens, performance will say, I am better than, and you're always in comparison mode. Are you not? I, let's be honest. We did it here. We thought, you know, if, if we were to raise our hands, you were to say, which side are you on? Are you on the side with lots of S's or the side with lots of R's? You know? They, they, they do this every year, and they're, they're going to come out with it again this year. They'll, they'll interview college graduates. And when they do, they'll ask, how many of you believe you're above average? Like 90% will believe they're above average. Well, it's not possible for 90% to be above average. Something close to 50, maybe. Everybody thinks they are the best. Well, why? Because mama told me that. Well, mama lies. <laughs> Just that simple. You see, when we're talking about big sin, little sin, and then we quantify our sin. And grace goes the other way. Grace says it's all about God's mercy, and it's all about thanking Jesus. And if I do any good works, it's only because of the good that he's worked in me. And I know that I am no better than anybody else. When I get to heaven, I'll be just as amazed as everybody else, that I'm even there. And I will be thanking God in heaven through Jesus. And no one will be patting. There are no heroes in heaven but Jesus. And here's the deal. If you can get over this and really enjoy the grace of God, you know what's going to happen? You'll have Romans 5, 1 and 2. You'll have the peace of God. You'll have access to God, better prayer life, and better spirituality. But you'll have a grace standing a kind of a position of grace. And if you err, it'll always be to the side of grace, which is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Okay, I'm done. Here's, I'm going to tell you one more story, then we're going to pray. I told you about John Newton, right? Living in the 1700s. Not only owning slaves, but being a slave trader. Gosh, awful person. If you were ever to quantify sin, that's a terrible sin. Comes to Jesus becomes a minister of the gospel, a songwriter that gives to us some of the greatest hymns in the history of the church. But that's not his mark in history. I'm telling you, you know that is his mark, but I'm going to give you a different mark on him now. Late in his life, John Newton will meet a young guy in England. Slavery is still legal. It's still happening. It's still immoral, still wrong, but it's still happening in England. He will meet a young man whose name is William. William is one of the youngest guys to get into the parliament. He, was 20, he had to be 20 years old to get into parliament, uh, and William got into parliament when he was 20 years and two weeks old. <laughs> Pretty young guy. He gets into parliament, and he, he grows up in a good home that's basically Anglican, kind of Church of England-ish, and he, he listens to messages by the Wesley brothers, and he doesn't know what to do, but his heart, like Wesley's, is strangely warm. His family then says, if you're going to be a part of that, you're not going to get a penny of inheritance from us. <laughs> so in his faith, he doesn't know what to do, but he is, he is somewhat attached to the Lord, but not really. He doesn't know what to do with his faith. He gets in the parliament, and, and it's at that point that Newton meets 
William, young William. But that's not the whole story. Along the way, William will take a vacation. He'll leave England and go to France. And while he's in France, he'll meet some uppy-ups because William's part of Parliament. He can meet the uppy-ups of France. And he, has, he, he actually advances in the Parliament and, and becomes one of the, the great leaders, even though he's one of the youngest guys there. And like at the age of 24, he's one of the, the supreme leaders within the Parliament. He goes on vacation, goes to France. And while he's in France, he meets the uppy-ups of France. But there's a guy in France by the name of Benjamin Franklin who happened to be visiting France. And he meets Franklin. And he says, uh, tell me about America. And he said, well, it's a wonderful country, but our biggest blight is slavery. And he's essentially saying, we got it from you, by the way. And Franklin was one of the few, he was one of the few proponents of freeing all people. He was one of the first abolitionists. He hated slavery. But he was a lone voice at the time. But he put that seed in this little young guy by the name of William. William went back to England, and he meets John Newton. And it's John Newton who tells him about Jesus and how he could set him free. But in the process of now he's setting him free, he says, and by the way, our law in Parliament is wrong. It's morally wrong. The guy's name is William Wilberforce. He became the Abraham Lincoln of England. Look him up. Wonderful guy. If you want to read more, you just want a chapter, uh, read uh, Seven Men by Eric McTaxis. It's one chapter just on William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce would stand as a lone voice in Parliament because he had been set free from his own sins and he knew of the amazing grace that changed Newton's life had now changed his and he set that nation on a new plane, a, new, a whole new future. He, it, and of all things, he forced the issue of slavery to come up, although he was alone. I'm telling you that to say this. If you will see just how amazing grace is, you will see how it could change your life so radically that no matter what your sin is, John Newton, whatever your sin is, God can overcome that. And you have no idea what the next generation, how they would benefit from your obedience to be a super-graced person. But the choice is really yours. You can choose to be critical in spirit. You can choose to be a, a legalist, a person who follows the letter of the law. Or you can choose to understand the grace that God has given to you. And if you will stand in the grace, you will be the next chapter in a grace-filled history. Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray. Lord, it is amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And it covers us, just pours over us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I'm... I'm I'm talking to each and every one of you personally. I'm talking to us as a crowd, but each one personally, I want you to know there's a God in heaven who loves you more than you could imagine, and he's demonstrated that in the person of Christ. 
If you've never trusted Christ, let me encourage you to trust him where you are, right standing there. there. You need to pray with somebody. There'll, there'll be an elder up at the front. Charles and other elders will be up at the front on the left-hand side. They'd be more than happy to pray with you. But this issue of grace could affect and, and could be polluted in, in the lives of good Christians. So would you ask the Lord now, Lord, would you do work in me to make sure that my life is grace-filled and there is nothing in there that would pervert the gospel and distort the message and somehow get me off track? It's so easy to happen, isn't it? Critical spirit, judgmentalism, negativism, controlling behaviors, analyzing more than applying, it happens to us all. So God, help us all. Help us to be the most gracious people in the world because we have been graced by a wonderful Father in heaven who gave to us a Savior who is full of truth and full of grace. We thank you that he set our feet on solid ground, gave to us hope and everlasting life. May that be the kind of grace we stand in, we pray. And we pray this in the name of our risen Savior and Lord Jesus. And the church says, amen.